0: Hey, good morning, Journey. I like to be the center of attention. All right. Thank you, Pastor Aaron. Um, Aaron is a wonderful friend, and what a wonderful addition he's been to this church. And uh, you all have an awesome pastor. And thank you, seriously. There's not a lot of churches that would do what you all have done and just said pastor just get out of here for a little bit and uh that just makes them better and gives them fresh new vision all that it's all good uh i know you miss him which that's even better (laughs) you're like oh he's coming back you know you don't want that but uh yeah so we're um thank you for the investment you've made hey just two quick things uh, one is, uh, my website is mattministry.com, and that has all the information about what we do and the books that are available. I also have a podcast simply called MattCast. It's all one word, MattCast, where we kind of speak to uh, creative people and uh, try to speak that language. Um, we usually put an episode out every couple weeks, so uh, subscribe. We'd love to have you This morning, we're going to turn our attention to Jonah chapter 1. If you would head there, if, if you have an electronic Bible, I'm going to use the ESV, the English Standard Version. Jonah chapter 1. There's a question that every Christian, I think, secretly wants to know. Am I in the will of God? Here's the short answer to that. If you're with Jesus, yes, you're in his will. I think we freak out about that way too much. Now let's bring the worship team back. No, I'm kidding. That's not not the whole message. I'll give the check back to you there, Aaron. Uh, But the same God who saves us keeps us and God's will is going to be accomplished in us one way or another. We can either do this the easy way or the hard way. So I'd like for you to imagine the following scenario. You are headed out on a flight to Los Angeles. And if you're like me, you've done a horrible job of making reservation, not really knowing what you're doing online. And you end up on the back seat of the plane right against the bathroom. Your seat has absolutely no give whatsoever, and you realize that in the event of an emergency, you will be the last person to leave the aircraft. You're trying to mentally prepare for the next few hours, and you have a book in the seat pocket in front of you and music ready to go on your phone with headphones. That's when you notice him a jittery guy sweating profusely, carrying a backpack that looked like it had been jammed with clothing and other essentials at the last minute. Part of a sleeve is peeking through the zipper, clearly jammed by the zipper upon closing. You wonder if it's his first time flying and hope you're not going to have to be his life coach on this trip to talk him through it. You've got your own stuff to deal with. But he throws his backpack into the overhead bin, Plops down rather harshly in the seat next to you, buckles up, and exhales loudly. He uses his bare arm to wipe the ample amounts of sweat from his brow, and you realize you're going to be one inch from a sweaty mess for four hours. You turn up your music and look out the window, avoiding any signal that you wish to engage with this person. That's when you feel him jabbing you with his elbow trying to get your attention. You can't believe the gall. You turn and look and through your, through the headphones and the music, faintly hear him saying, hey, hey. You remove your headphones and rather curtly ask, yes. He says his name is John, but can't maintain eye contact as he strangely darts his head left and right, almost looking for impending trouble. Now you wonder if he's a fugitive on the run. Or from the law or something. Uh, Still out of breath, he wipes a fresh new crop of sweat from his forehead. And he asks, what brings you to Los Angeles? You hesitantly say, "Um, I've got a friend out there who's going to show me the sights. You? He responds, oh, I'm running from God. You nod politely and can't believe your bad luck. You've gone from thinking... He's a first-time flyer to a fugitive to now someone quite disturbed. And then he proceeds to fall fast asleep on your shoulder. Believe it or not, this would be a 21st century version of the Jonah story. God had a plan for Jonah, and Jonah decided to do God's will the hard way. Let's look at Jonah chapter 1, and again, I'm going to be jumping back and forth into this scripture. So if you have it, especially on your phone, keep it there, because we'll be referring to it a lot. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now, Jonah responded to God's challenge by fleeing the scene. And I'm convinced that there are believers, people who love Jesus, people that are in the Lamb's book of life, who are with us today, who love the Lord, but they have fled. Emotionally and spiritually, they have fled the scene. They're in church on Sunday, but their hearts and minds are elsewhere. And we're making this harder than it needs to be. My message this morning is called to flee or not to flee. And when we flee, we make God's will harder than it needs to be. Because God wins. Anybody aware of this? He doesn't like losing, he doesn't lose ever. (laughs) He's going to win. You see, you understand. He's going to to win. And uh, letting him win is always a great, great thing to our lives. But I want to ask three questions about fleeing. Because I think a lot more of us are here than we realize. Question one, what causes a believer to flee? Well, let's start, first of all, with God brings a word to us. Verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. In other words, we have a relationship with him. Someone who doesn't know God or serve him won't be interested in what he has to say. Jonah is one of his. Isn't it fantastic we love and serve a God who speaks to us in different ways? In the Old Testament, the Lord would have certain spokespeople through whom he would speak. And at this time, Jonah was one of God's prophets who would speak on his behalf. But now, because of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus, we can all boldly approach the throne of grace. The partitions and walls are destroyed. We have access to Almighty God, which also means he has access to us. We have his written word that serves as our authoritative rule for faith and conduct. It is the standard, unchanging standard by which we live. Not popular culture, not the world system of pure emotion, but an immovable perfect word to guide our lives. It is food for our soul. It is our sustenance. And when you and I recognize what God has given to us, the blessings and the promises and the instructions, it benefits our life. I was on a flight one time from Kansas City to Columbus, Ohio. I was coming back from a conference, and it was a beautiful day to travel. This was way before the 2008 recession, so there were lots of empty seats on this plane. I had an entire row to myself. I was making a little home in there. So I was getting all set up with all my stuff, and the flight attendant is giving the pre-flight instructions, which I am completely ignoring, just like you do when you're on a flight. And I'm sitting there just, mm-hmm, just yeah, 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 and it's going to drop, and, and flotation. Yeah. And uh, halfway through the flight, and again, a beautiful day to travel. The plane suddenly dropped about 100 feet. <laughs> My stuff, like, flew off the seat and scattered on the floor. And I did what any of us would do in that situation. I start looking at the flight attendant. Because if they're surprised, I'm panicking. And one of them was kind of going, I'm like, Oh! And suddenly, I'm like, can we go through those instructions again? This is how life happens when we're not taking in the Word of God. It is food for our soul. It is a lamp for our feet, a light for our path. It allows us to know what is right and what is wrong. There are no surprises. We also have the Holy Spirit who has taken residence in our lives, who speaks to us accompanies us, leads us into all truth. He is prompting us through our day, encouraging us, convicting us, speaking to us in accordance with God's words. Uh, These are all benefits of surrendering our lives to Jesus Christ and giving him complete control. And only in doing this do we find total freedom. But then secondly, God then commands us to do something. If you've been a Christian for more than five minutes, you know that in our walk with the Lord, he will ask us to do things we've never done before. He presents a challenge, a test he knows we can pass. He tells Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. This was a test. Likewise, the Lord will ask us to do things we've never done before. Things that will require ultimate trust in God. He might tell you to get involved in a ministry here at the church. He might tell you to take part in a volunteer group somewhere in the community. And you'll think, I don't know anybody in that group. But if God is speaking, if God is speaking. Third, or God commands us to eliminate something. $5 word time here in church. A word we use in church sometimes, sanctification. And we'd be are you sanctified about? Well, yeah, brother. Mm. Ah, sanctified. What does that mean? I have no idea, but I know it's good. When you and I received Jesus, when we responded to his pull and his draw to us, we were immediately sanctified. <laughs> We were made holy because of the work of Jesus, not because of our efforts, because we could never fix ourselves. There is an instantaneous part of sanctification. We have been set apart for Christ. However, we're not done, because now sanctification is also progressive. As we spend the rest of our lives becoming more and more like Christ, we submit to that process Part of that process, sometimes the Holy Spirit will show up and tell us it's time to smash an idol. We don't like that because we're comfortable. They've become little teddy, some cement teddy bears to us. But then God says it's time to smash it, it's time for that to go. How many have experienced that before? But then we decide we're not going to do it. This is where the fleeing starts. Either we're too afraid to trust God in the challenge, or we just love our idols so much we can't let go. We ignore the voice of God and stay right where we're comfortable. Verse 3 says, But Jonah rose to flee. God said, arise, Go to, he got the arise part correct, but we rise to flee. Now remember, I'm not talking about no longer believing in Jesus, no longer believing in his work, I'm not talking about removing ourselves from fellowship, physically we can look all there, but we're really fleeing. We're afraid of failure or making a fool out of ourselves or we can't imagine life without our precious idol that we turn to for instant comfort and safety instead of the Lord. That's fleeing the scene. Is God's will thwarted? Oh, my friend, I think not. For God doesn't respond to these things by going, Oh, shucks, maybe next time. No, no. There are results to this. So what happens, second question, what happens when we flee? Well, let's look at what happens, because maybe some of you can relate to this. Number one, we distance ourselves from God. Back to verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Charshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So what he does is he heads down to a city called Joppa, which was sort of the Chicago O'Hare airport of its day. And he decided to catch an international. And where he went, many experts believe Tarshish was in present day Spain, 25 100 miles away this guy was jumping continents to get out of this the lord wanted him to go about 550 miles northeast jonah's pulling a go west young man almost five times as much this is the equivalent of somebody saying i hear alaska is beautiful this time of year That's distance. Well, how about us? I know we're not hopping a a ship for Istanbul or something like that. But maybe we just don't meet with God like we used to. It becomes sporadic or rare. And even when it happens, it's really shallow. We read, quote unquote, the Bible, but we don't allow it to read us. We're not interested in his voice since we already know what he wants us to do. So we are spiritually and emotionally distancing ourselves. Oh, we'll say things like, oh yeah, I'm just really busy right now. Or it's hard to understand the Bible. Or it's tough to worship God in my house by myself. But that's not really the issue. We're on a one-way ticket to Tarshish. We're not obeying the Lord. And how ridiculous to think we can get away from the Lord (laughs) He forgot the words of David in Psalm 139. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? There it is. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, that's the grave, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. So we distance ourselves. Secondly, we pay unnecessary costs. Verse 3 says, he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. You know what's funny? When we flee, we pay a price. And by the way, I mean literally. Literally. We spend money fleeing the presence of God. We spend time, effort, talent, yeah, but funny how fleeing God always has a literal price tag attached. We literally spend money on the idols that we don't smash. Jonah spent money he didn't need to in an effort to flee God's presence. Third, we lie to ourselves. Now, depending on how long and far this goes, this can start to become very dangerous in the life of a believer. When we disobey the Lord and then heap layers of lies on top of the disobedience, it can start to lead to horrible decisions. This is my deal. It's just my problem. I'm not hurting anybody. It's, it's a private thing. Here's how self-deceptive Jonah was. Verse 5 says he had gone down to the inner part of the ship, had laid down, and was fast asleep. Jonah had told himself he was safe from God's direction. This is how addictions set in. This, This is how affairs occur. This is how things are done that can't be undone. There is no one we lie to more than ourselves. And self-deception is basically doing the enemy's work for him. And fourth, and we don't like to think about this, we bring others into our mess. Now, this certainly wasn't Jonah's intent, but it's happening. Verses 4 and 5, there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Let me talk to you about one car accidents. One morning, I was headed up the interstate. I had about a 45-minute commute to get to a morning meeting. And I'm rolling along on in the interstate, and uh, suddenly three lanes of traffic were completely stopped. And that's where I remained for about 20 plus minutes. And by the time I I got up to the scene, one car in the left lane had, for one reason or another, veered a little bit to the left and hit a center retaining wall. Now, thankfully, the car was just banged up a little. There, There wasn't injury. But, Thousands of people were late to work that day. And I'm sure that guy didn't wake up and say, I'm going to snarl traffic for everybody. (laughs) Woo! And you know, that's the thing. When, When you and I have a one car accident, other people are affected. Because it's not just us. Here Jonah's doing his fleeing thing, and suddenly these poor sailors are dragged into the drama. They didn't sign up for this. They just think there's two hundred gods, and whoever yours is is really ticked off at you. Thanks. That's, I think, the biggest deception that the enemy makes on us when we're fleeing. Don't worry about it. Just it's your thing but see, it isn't. Under the best case scenario, when you're fleeing, somebody near you knows, but they don't know. I mean, they can sense it. You know what I mean? They're around you, and they're kind of, they know something's off. And maybe no discussion is had, but now that person is going to be concerned about that and taking time to think about it and pray about it. And Lord, I hope they're okay. I don't know what's going on. At the very least, that's what we've done. We brought someone into it, and we didn't want to do that. But now someone is concerned. And then it goes worse and worse from there. You see, even my private sin affects other people. And the enemy doesn't want us to know that. But Jonah had brought about a storm that scared veteran sailors to death and cause them to throw the car, they lost their cargo because of this. And if we persist, the worst may happen. Here's the worst. You know what the worst is? When God says, okay, if that's what you want. I heard someone describe it this way. Maybe the wrath of God isn't this, but maybe it's that. The writer Oscar Wilde, who is not a believer, (laughs) once said that there are two great tragedies in life. One is not getting what you want. The other is getting what you want. And heaven help us when God allows us to have what we want outside of his will and while we're fleeing. So now Jonah has created a hurricane. (laughs) But how do we get back? Third and final question. Well, Jonah doesn't seem to be listening to God at the moment. So God works through a weather system and a ship's captain to get his attention. Verse 6, the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. How do we get back when we're fleeing? Number one, we arise. There's that arising again. We recognize God is trying to get our attention. Verse 4, but the Lord, here's the word used in my version today, hurled. A great wind upon the sea. That word hurled in Hebrew means to cast and throw like a spear. What's God doing? He's throwing a fastball right down the pike. And he doesn't miss. Ready, aim, fire. He knew what he was doing. Only God could have a surgical hurricane. Now, a lot of us find passages like this troubling because we always want, to be, we want God to be the sweet old grandpa who gives us candy all the time. And yes, God is love. He is the definition of love, my friend. But that Lord has a holy, jealous love that will not permit other lovers in our life. Why? Because he's insecure and controlling? No. Because he made us, invested in us, gave his son for us. He refuses to sit back and allow some stupid habit or issue to steal away what he has invested. He loves us too much to sit back and allow us to ruin ourselves. Parents, you correct, hopefully, and discipline your children because you don't want them to be 30-year-old monsters who wreak havoc on society. We love them too much to let them have their way. In the same way, the Lord loves us way too much to allow us to have chocolate cake for every meal. So God uses what you would call a <clears throat> attention-getting device. A weather system. What's happening? God is trying to remind Jonah there are people that God wants to touch through him and through us. And the whole send somebody else argument never works with the Lord. Read all through scripture, people who drive that. There is something God is up to and we're involved. Secondly, we call out to God. In other words, we acknowledge He is God, and we are not. A great definition of sin I once heard is that it's man's attempt to be God. And my friend, we make a terrible God. Just put us in charge for 10 minutes and watch the destruction. He's God, we're not. Call out to him as God and Lord. We have called on ourselves long enough. Verse 12, he said to them, pick me up and, here's that word again, hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. Watch this, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. We need to confess our sin own up to the mess we're making, even if that mess only involves us. This is my fault, Lord. I went in my way. I behaved like a spoiled child. That's a good start. Third, we give up control. Oh, here's the part we all love, isn't it? This is the time. This is a good bathroom break time right here. They're like, I don't need to hear this part. But we need to fully embrace this if we are even going to be reasonably content as Christians. Verse 15, So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And you thought your cruise was bad. Jonah knows the only way for these men to be safe is by getting off the ship. And by that, I don't mean being gently placed into the water. That Bible uses that same word hurled as when God hurled a storm. In other words, they're grabbing them by wrists and ankles. And a one, and a two. Hurl! And he allowed them to do that. He was being tossed like a beanbag in cornhole. funny part is I don't see the crew fighting him on this do you oh no we really shouldn't they're like yeah let's get him get him over and Jonah really does become quite noble here and and he knows it might be over for him but he's done playing God and the seas are immediately calm and the men on the ship end up worshiping God as a result hear this friends Even our delayed obedience can still have an effect on others. It's never too late to make a good choice. And then lastly, we trust. Verse 17, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Nobody said this was going to be easy. And Jonah certainly made it harder than it needed to be. He must have been quite a ways from shore since he stayed in the belly of the fish for three days. Jonah controlled everything, he thought, and it led to disaster. He gives up control, trusts, and God rescues. Watch this. The same God who hurls also appoints. God appointed a fish to swallow and protect Jonah. In the King James, the word there is prepared. The Hebrew word there means to assign or appoint. Can can we think about this for just a moment? We serve a God who commands it all. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. He has the ability to pick out a gigantic sea creature, and say, you, over there. Folks, remember, we serve a God who appoints, who orchestrates nature, the animal kingdom, and economics so that his purpose through us will be accomplished. That's what we're tapping into when we stop fleeing and we start trusting again. We have no idea the holy levers and buttons God is pulling and pushing on our behalf behind the scenes. But he is. That's what living in God's will, not mine, is like. It's not us doing what we want and then asking God to bless it on the back end. It's finding out what God is blessing and doing that. How long will we flee? How long will we insist on control and misery because they go together? Stop fleeing. Stop running. Stop controlling. The Lord really is up to something in you for others. But we need to stop fleeing. See what God will appoint for you when you trust Him. See what Fully living in God's will looks like. Will you bow your heads as the worship team comes? Jesus, I can't believe how gracious you are. I can't believe how kind you are. I can't believe how patient you are. Even when we try to do your job, you don't let us go. And Lord, maybe today there's someone in the room who's been fleeing. We were given a challenge. We psyched ourselves out. We said, no, nah, can't do it. Sorry. I don't want to look like a fool. Or it's something we love so much. It's an addiction. It's a it's a habit that's been with us for a long time. And maybe nobody knows. Oh, but we love it so. We just can't see our life without it. God, I pray that we in faith will grab the holy mallet and smash that thing because you are our object of worship. This morning, maybe you've been running. I want you to be reminded today Jesus still loves you. In his eyes, nothing has changed. You're just off course. He's He's trying to get you back on course. He has something so really cool and amazing for you. If we'll just... Give up control and trust. And even as I pray for you right now, maybe you want to express to the Lord in some way. Maybe you want to lift hands to him and say, God, I'm giving up control today. I I want to get back on your plan. As I pray over you, would, would you express that to the Lord in some way? Jesus, I pray for this congregation. I pray that you would... Lord, do whatever you have to do to keep us on track. We want to live this out as you have it for us. We're tired of running. We're tired of running to our little shady corners. We want what you want. I pray we will love you more than anything else in this life. I pray that we will come back. Let the fleeing be over in Christ's name. Can we stand, congregation? And I pray that this morning a process started. That you know the Lord loves you and that has not changed. And as we seal this in worship today, would you allow this to be your opportunity to say, Jesus, I'm done playing. I'm done trying to have my way. We're just going to do it your way and I'm going to live in abundance.